0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 192 of the iFreak Show. Today, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. And I am James Zuber from Minneapolis. We don't have a guest today, but we thought we'd talk a little bit about core data. Andrew thought there's been some cool things added in iOS 10, and we'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Andrew, can you kick it off? Yeah, sure. So I thought we could kind of do a a rundown
1: of core data um, generally, not just the new stuff, but kind of talk about what core data is, what it's good for, what it's not so good for. Etc. And then um, there, there has been they, they, did make some pretty nice changes in Xcode eight and iOS ten uh, that make Core Data. I mean, a big part of what those changes do is they make Core Data a lot easier, a lot nicer to use in Swift. But even if you're writing in Objective C, there's some nice stuff there.
0: Cool. Where should we start?
1: Well, I uh, let's start at the beginning. So, what is Core Data? Core Data is a is really Apple's framework for doing um, local persistence in an iOS or a Mac app. And uh, Core Data actually came out in 2005 when uh, Mac macOS 10.4 Tiger was released. It was sort of the big new developer feature in that release of, of the OS. Anyway, it is, a, it is a persistence framework, as I was saying. Um, so if you're familiar already with uh, something like SQL for example, SQL is a database. Core Data sort of fulfills that same role, although I think it's important to note, as I always do, that Core Data is not SQL. Uh, it does actually use SQLite most commonly as its um, low-level persistence layer, but that's completely abstracted away for you, the developer. So you can you can model data, set up uh, what are called entities in Core Data, but you can think of it like a class, um, and those entities have attributes or properties, and then. Uh, those turn into just regular objects. Well, we'll get into how they're not exactly regular objects, but those turn into regular objects in your in your iOS app, and Core Data does all of the um, kind of difficult stuff in terms of saving those to disk and tracking changes. It manages an undo-redo stack for you, uh, and one of the really nice things that it does is it will manage relationships between ob- objects without making you uh, write code to manually you know for example update both
2: sides of a relationship when it changes this episode is brought to you by daily drip.com daily drip makes keeping up to date on programming skills easier you already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages what if the hard part of that was already done for you sign up for daily drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about want to learn swift how about react native or maybe you just want to brush up on css and html Every weekday, you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. We have a special coupon just for iFreaks listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code iFreaks as one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means that you can try out the Swift topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code iFreaks to show your support for our podcast. Make learning part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com.
0: Okay, now if we're doing a SQL type solution... A lot of times, we we'll use like an object relational manager, an ORM, to map between what's in the database and code objects. Now, every time someone writes about this and writes about core data, they say, see, core data is not an ORM. Uh, you know, it's a graph, man- it's a, what do you call it, a graph management? Yeah, an object graph management. An object graph. Uh, it's an object graph. Yeah. Can you tell us what the difference is? <laughs>
1: Uh, I don't know, James. Can you tell me what? The I'm details? not even sure. I
0: know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure I fully, understand I don't know. I, it might be that, you know, core data does not really need to be backed up by a database. You can just throw objects in there. If you got stuff from the, the network, you can just throw it in core data. It doesn't have to actually get written to disk or to a database. You can just throw it in there and use it. And it will help with the same type of things you might use from a object relational mapper, but I don't know. It's the mystery. Does anyone know? Tweet at us, Please.
1: Yeah, I would like to learn more about this too. I I think probably if I just did some uh, reading on it, I would be able to explain this better. But I but I think one of the one of the takeaway points is that um, core data, unlike SQL, for example, see as you know as I understand it in my use of it, SQL is basically just uh, a database that has tables. Tables have rows, which are a row is like one record, and they have columns, which are like the properties in a in a record, but it, SQL itself does nothing in terms of uh, you know turning turning the data in the database into objects in your in your code you know in your program. Um, it has it does nothing to maintain relationships between objects or to keep for example to validate columns. Although uh, maybe there's some some support for that I don't know, but Whereas Core Data does all of that stuff. As you interact with it as a programmer, you are interacting with objects that have properties, and relationships between objects are representative, represented by properties, and you just manipulate them exactly like you manipulate a regular object. And Core Data takes uh, care of keeping relationships valid on both sides. For example, you know if you've got one object that has a relationship to another object, and it's a it's a two-way relationship. Say, a, uh, you know you have an object that a, 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 an entity that represents a person, and you have two, and they're married, so they're, they each have a spouse relationship in it. The, the one person's, you know, the husband's spouse relationship points to his wife, the wife's relationship spouse relationship points back to her husband, and you decide to give them a divorce. All you have to do is set, for example, the husband's spouse relationship to nil, and Core Data will automatically take care of uh, setting the wife's corresponding relationship to nil. So, in, in, in complex um, object graphs, doing that kind of relationship management can be pretty tricky to get right if you're having to write all the code to do it yourself and to keep the entire graph in a valid state all the time. Core data will handle that for you. Um, and then, of course, I guess the other big takeaway is that, as I said earlier, core data is not SQL. So by default, core data, or most commonly on iOS especially, Core Data uses SQLite as its underlying data store, but that's optional. You could there 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 are other choices for uh, Core Data's backend store, and you can even write your your own support for you know custom stores that that Core Data does not support with built-in support. Um, so it's important, I think, when you're programming it to to. Uh, have the right mindset and to realize that you should use core data as core data is meant to be used and not sort of use concepts that you've taken from experience with SQL or some database and try to apply them to core data when they don't really fit
0: that makes sense
1: I was just going to say core, core data can also not use a database at all and you can actually just have everything be in memory and it doesn't really save data at all um, that's not as common but there, there are use cases for that too
0: Okay now, so how do you make a decision whether it's appropriate to use core data or not in your application well that's a
1: that's a good question, and it's one that um, was easier to answer in maybe say two thousand and six than it is now because there are these uh, you know essentially competing persistence frameworks like realm is a big one. Um, there are quite a few people who just use SQLite using something like fmdB which is a open-source Objective-C framework to make using SQL easier. Um, But, uh, you know, assuming you're kind of ignoring those and you're just thinking, should I use core data or should I use something like just saving data in a plist using NS coding or something like that? Um, Core data is going to be significantly more efficient for large data sets than just sort of doing it yourself, serializing data in in a plist or in some custom binary format to a file. Uh, Core data also helps you a lot with this exact stuff I've been talking about, relationship management. So if you've got a complex, a complex graph of objects with relationships to each other, Core Data makes it a lot easier to manage that and can do a lot for you. I think one thing that gets overlooked a lot and is probably not as important on iOS as it is on the Mac, although I have made really good use of it in, in at least one, well, actually in two iOS apps I can think of that I've written, is that Core Data gives you really like free built-in support for undo and redo so if you use core data for your um, data model layer supporting undo you know say you're making a drawing app or something and you use core data to represent the a vector drawing app and you use core data to actually represent the data um, for your for your vectors like you know shapes and lines and whatever you just you can you can make uh, make it so that undo works with practically no code at all you know, you just kind of hook up your undo action to, to your core data managed object context undo manager, and there you go. So that's actually pretty cool. That's something that I
0: think is not talked about as much as it should be. No, that makes sense. Like, if you've ever, ever tried to do undo in an app, it's very easy to get it wrong. It seems like an easy thing to do, just undo what you just did, keep track of what you did, but a lot of little edge cases. So if core data can help with that, that's definitely a benefit.
1: Yeah, and I won't say that's perfect because it does have some dependence on, um, you know, for example, if you make a change that to to a user is sort of one single action, logical change, but you're doing a lot of uh, updates, separate updates to your underlying model to support that. You, you, by default, you know, you'll have like multiple multiple actions in your undo stack, but each one doesn't produce a user visible change you got to back up through a bunch of them before the user sees what they expected but there are there are pretty easy ways around that where you can batch updates uh, as far as the undo stack is concerned
0: that's good to know
1: your question was a good one but i think um, anybody with even a little experience on ios and that that has kind of read about persistence solutions is going to know that there are plenty of people who uh, criticize Core Data for various reasons, and I think a lot of those criticisms are actually fairly valid. Um, it doesn't—I don't think it means you should never use Core Data just because you read a blog post uh, where somebody criticized it. And, you know, pointed out its problems, but understanding those problems is pretty important if you're going to make a sound decision about whether it's right for your app or not.
0: So that makes sense. So, what are what are some ways that you can do Core Data wrong? Or what are some areas that are not good fit for Core Data?
1: Well, I think the very biggest thing that anybody will point to is multi-threading. It it has gotten better over time as Apple has added um, API-level features to make dealing with Core Data in a multi-threaded environment easier. But uh, Core Data has some pretty strict rules around use of Core Data from multiple threads. And it's pretty easy to get that wrong. And it's pretty easy to write bugs um, because you don't fully understand those rules or have written code that uh, doesn't. Doesn't strictly follow them, Um, so it's not a it's not a full on never do it. I've written multi threaded core data apps, and the truth is, at this point, it's hard hard to you know it would be hard to accomplish a lot of what you might want to accomplish with core data without writing uh, multi threaded code. But it is a bit of a minefield, so make sure you're up on and aware of those rules, um, which at their core are that you can't deal, you cannot use core data objects on multiple threads. You cannot use a a core data object from multiple threads. You have to confine your use of it to a single thread. And so if you want Well, unless you're okay with your app. If you're okay with your app crashing, then go ahead. Sure, crashing or even worse, you know, throwing Throwing an exception now and then, but most of the time it works. Uh, you know, or or weird behavior that you can't quite track down. So, it's definitely um, definitely something you have to be careful of. There actually is a there actually is a environment variable I think that you can set or a launch argument, uh, one of the two that you can set on your app like during development that will make it so that Core Data is really strict about enforcing uh, its its multi threading rules and it will reliably crash if you. Sort of do the wrong thing multi-threading wise. That's that's actually a good idea to turn that on. I have to look it up though because I can't remember the
0: exact argument. Okay, now that's good advice. Don't do multi don't do multi-threading wrong. But the other advice that we get is don't use the you know the standard Apple template because it throws everything on the the main thread. Um, why is that Why is that a bad idea?
1: Just just to go back to that, I did look it up, and you can pass um, the com.apple.cordata.concurrency debug uh, argument der- as a as a launch argument for your app. If you just search for core data concurrency assertions or something like that, you'll find that. But but anyway, yeah, so um, uh, I just forgot. Oh, you were talking about the, the default Apple template. Well, so I, I guess people's big problem with the default ap- Apple template is core data uses what? What we might commonly call a stack. And there, there ends up being quite a bit of boilerplate code you need to write to set that stack up. The stack consists of an NS persistent store, an NS persistent store manager, and an NS managed object context. And those three things sort of work together to, to put in place the infrastructure you need to, to use core data at all. And if you just create an app, or at least this was true in previous versions of Xcode, if you just create an app and you check the use core data box, um, when you're when you're creating the project, all of that stuff all of that setup code just gets put in the in the app delegate and as hopefully everybody knows um just throwing stuff in the app delegate, especially really important stuff like your entire persistence layer in the app delegate is bad right it's It's essentially like a big dumping ground for a bunch of what becomes global mutable state and we could probably do a whole episode on why that's bad, right?
0: I think so. It's bad. Just take your word for for right now. So, if you're going to use the
1: template that Apple gives you, at the very least, you need to know that and to move stuff out of the oh. app delegate and uh, you know create a create a class that is responsible for setting up that stack and uh, you, you know organize it the way you want to organize it, but but don't put it in the app delegate. Um, I will say that some of the changes that Apple made in X, iOS 10 and Xcode are directly related to this concept of the Core Data stack and are about reducing the boilerplate that you have to write to set Core Data up. So um, we can get into that if you'd like. Let's do it. Okay, so as I said, uh, you know, from the time Core Data was re- launched 12 years ago up until iOS 10 came out a few months ago, if you if you ever used Core Data, you had to set up the stack, and it was just you know I don't know a few fifty lines of code or something like that to create a persistent store and load your Core Data store file up and create a persistent store coordinator and add persistent stores to it and then create a managed object context and it was boilerplate. It was the kind of code that you stick in a snippet somewhere, and every time you're going to use Core Data, you copy and paste it and change a couple things. And uh, boiler boilerplate code is not fun, right? It's code that is not very interesting, um, is annoying to have to write up every time you just want to use an API. And I think Apple knew that, so they added a, a new class in iOS 10 and macOS 10.12 10, called NSPersistentContainer. And NSPersistentContainer is essentially um, a class that encap- encapsulates that entire stack. So it it takes care of setting up your persistent store coordinator and your persistent store. It creates managed object contexts for you. And it's basically... Two lines of code to, to set up an NS persistent store coordinator. You just create one, initialize one, give it a name, and then call its load persistent stores method, and it will um, it will even use a default uh, location in the documents directory for your app. So you don't even have to specify a file URL if if you don't need to. You can you can specify that if you'd like to, but um, in the really simple case where your app just has one file storing all of its data for core data, you don't even have to go to the trouble to find the documents directory and, and you know come up with a file url so that's pretty cool um and that that makes it a lot easier to just get a just get a core data app up and running without all that boilerplate
0: code very cool now when you say ios 10 is that do you need a device that supports ios 10 or is that the ios 10 sdk we can do our previous versions
1: so these are these are APIs that were added in, in iOS 10. So uh, yeah, you have to you, your app has to target iOS 10 or higher. or You can't use some of these things. Some of the changes we'll talk about are actually not um, features that iOS added. They're they're features in the tooling that Xcode added. And I, I think, though I haven't tried, that some of the some of the tooling improvements will work even if you're de- deploying back to an older version than iOS 10.
0: So if you're using this new this new technique for hiding your stack. How do you say create two different layers, different threads? How do you how do you do that?
1: Well, so uh, these these best practices have sort of changed over time as as the core data APIs have gained new capabilities around multi-threading. But lately, the sort of suggested way is to have um, one context that you might call your main context or your view context, one one managed object context. And and as an aside, since we haven't explained this, uh, the managed object context in core data can be thought of like a sandbox or a scratch pad. It's, it's just this thing, this box that contains a bunch of core data objects. And it sort of mediates between those objects. It keeps track of changes to those objects. When you add new objects or delete objects, you do that within the managed object context. And then it has a save method, and it it will take care of pushing those changes, you know, down to the file that is being used to save your your data. Anyway, uh, you, you need one managed object context per thread or or dispatch queue that you're using Core Data on, and so you want one that is associated with your main queue that you can use from the main queue or the main thread. Uh, that that's pretty clearly going to be in any app because UI anything with UIKit has to be done on the main queue and you are it's hard to think of a, of a scenario where you're not going to want to use core data um, in conjunction with stuff you're doing with the UI. So you're you, you always going to want a context on the main queue. So NSPersistentContainer has this handy little property called viewContext that just sort of vends a, a main queue-associated context that is kind of like the default one that you'll just use anytime you're using, a, using core data on the main queue. But if you want to do stuff on a, on a background queue, it makes it very easy to create new background queue contexts. And it it does that uh, with a method called, surprise, new background context. So you can just call new background context on your persistent container. It will create and give you a new managed object context that is associated with a background queue. Um, and then there's an API on the context that that you can use to just pass it a block. You just give give the context a block of work that you want to be done, or a closure in Swift, and it will take care of doing that on the correct background queue. And it will also take care of setting that context up so that it will sync changes back to your view context when your work is done, etc. cetera. Um, it actually really simplifies using the recommended setup for multi-threading in core data, whereas before you kind of have to read the docs and make your way through the changes that have happened to best practices and then Come up with what you think is the best setup for your app. Now you kind of get a sane default um, based on Apple's recommendation if you just use these pretty simple methods on NS Persistent Container.
2: Today's episode of iFreaks is brought to you by SetApp, the innovative new way to find and use the best apps for your Mac. Finding the right app can be a real chore. Sifting through bad apps, comparing reviews, what a waste of time. SetApp has created an easier solution. From a single folder on your Mac, you gain access to over 60 hand-picked apps for Mac. This growing collection of premium apps is available for single monthly subscription of just $9.99. No ads, no hidden fees, no worries. Sign up at Setapp.com and enjoy a free month trial of the full Setapp experience. Setapp, now you're all set.
0: Oh, very cool. So what other new functionality do we have in iOS 10?
1: Well, so the, the first one that comes to my mind is a bunch of improvements to fetch requests. A fetch request is the way that you pull data out of, uh, of your core data. Uh, I hesitate to call it a database because we just said core data is not a database. But out of your core data database, um, this, this is you know the closest analog in SQL is, uh, is that a fetch request is sort of like a, a SQL statement, um, a select statement in SQL. You say, I want all of the instances of such and such entity where, you know, the if it's, say, say your entity represents people where age is greater than 30 or something. And then you can get, um, Core Data will go hit the database, find all of those uh, records, and then return a bunch of NS-managed objects uh, to you that, that are the ones you asked for. The problem here is that <clears throat> in Core Data... Core data objects are insta- instances of NSManagedObject, but almost always use subclass NSManagedObject for each of your specific um, entities. So you have a subclass. You know, instead of having just your your people represented by plain NSManagedObjects, you have a subclass of NSManagedObject called, for example, Person, which is great because you can add your own custom properties to it. You can add methods that. Um, you know, do do things that NSManagedObject doesn't do. It's just the usual stuff you get when you subclass something. And beyond that, of course, you get some type safety. Uh, if you write methods that, say, take person objects as a parameter, you want the compiler to be able to check that you're actually passing in a, a person object, not just some ma- NSManagedObject that represents something else. So that's all great. The problem is that in the past, when you've done a fetch request, the compiler has no way of knowing which specific subclasses of ns managed object are going to come back from that fetch request all it you know those the fetch request um, execute method previously just said that it returned an array of ns managed well not even an array of ns managed objects but just an array of objects you know and so you in, in objective c that's kind of okay because we can just implicitly convert between types and it's not such a big deal but Swift doesn't like that as much, so you ended up doing a bunch of conditional casts and you know, checking to make sure you actually got the subclasses you expected, et cetera. And it, it meant more code um, just to keep the compiler happy than you would like. So with that groundwork laid, Apple made some nice changes in iOS 10 around fetch requests, and basically the change they made is to make NSFetch requests and associated methods uh, so that they're annotated with generics in Objective C, uh, which get translated into generics in Swift, so that an NSFetch request now has a type. You can tell you can tell the NS when you create a fetch request, you say which subclass of NSManagedObject you expect it to fetch, and then the methods all down the line get those same types. So the compiler already knows that when you execute the fetch request, you're going to get an array of persons, not just some array of anys like like it was before. So that's pretty cool. They've also added some some nice uh, convenience methods to make it easier to, to create fetch requests. It used to be sort of a multi-step process, and it was a little bit stringly typed because you passed in a string that was the name of the entity you wanted to fetch, and now um, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, anyway, it, it basically cuts down the amount of code you you need to write to to create and execute a fetch request and use the results from that and does that while making it so that it's actually more type-safe. The compiler can check that you're doing things right more than it
0: used to be able to. That's cool. No, I'm looking forward to digging into that. Most of the core data stuff I've been doing over the past few months has been objective C, so I haven't had a chance to, to dig in, really. But no, that's all good stuff.
1: Yeah, and some of this stuff, I mean, core data is still all written in Objective-C, so these changes were all made at the Objective-C level, and some of them, you know, NS persistent container is just as nice in Objective-C as it is in Swift. But some of these um, changes around, like, generics, for example, yeah, they're probably a little bit nice in Objective-C, but where they really shine is when you're using uh, Swift, which is so much more strongly typed. I'm I'm just kind of going through. So NS fetch results controller, which is a, you could think of it sort of like a model controller for core data, but it is specifically meant to make it really easy to to set up a table or a collection view that um, displays and allows editing uh, data that is stored in core data. It will do things like... I mean, the, the biggest thing it does is it will watch your managed object context, and, for example, if you're making changes to the objects in it somewhere else, um, it will make it really easy to update your table view in response to the changes that were made. It also makes it really easy to s- split your um, split your table view out into sections based on a property on your core data objects, etc. So they've, they've extended these generic improvements to NSfetch results controller so it now also knows uh, what type of objects it's managing. Very cool. So I mentioned earlier that some of the changes that were made were actually changes in Xcode eight that were for the tools instead of um, really changes that were actually made to iOS or in iOS. Uh, and the, the really the, the big thing is that Xcode can now do what we call automatic automatic subclass generation. So it used to be that you would go into the core data model editor, which a uh, core data model is is a resource file. It's not code. It's you know like an XML file. That tells core data all about the um your data model, which which attributes which entities you want to have, what, what their attributes are, what their relationships should be, etc. Uh, and you can add validation that you want done, and default values, and whether things should be optional or not, and all this. And it but it's a res- resource file, you basically edit it graphically, and then. Um, previously, there was a menu option to create a subclass of NSManagedObject based, or to create subclasses of ma- NS managed object based on that model file. So it would create Swift or Objective-C code that defined classes that had the that had properties corresponding to the attributes that you modeled in the file, etc. Um, and it it was great that that Xcode. Could create those but if you went and made a change you know so, so say you did that you set up your model you created subclasses and then you started working on the app and you realized that you needed to add it, for example add a, a new attribute to your uh, model you'd have to remember to manually select that menu option to regenerate the, the uh, Swift or Objective-C class code and if you forgot well bad things happen right plus you had these extra files in your app that were sort of Xcode was managing them, and if you edited the code in them, you ran the risk of that code being overwritten the next time you updated your core data model. So all all of that meant that there was room for improvement. And and Apple made it so that now Xcode can just automatically generate those NS managed object subclasses without you having to remember to choose it from a menu. And they don't even actually show up in your project. They're sort of a they're sort of an intermediate build product where you just build the project. Xcode knows that one of the steps that it needs to go through is to create these subclasses from your model file so that other code in your app can use them um, and it's all sort of done behind the scenes in derived data again th- this makes for less code that you have to maintain uh, less of a chance that you will forget to forget to do something or do something wrong and cause a problem and it makes it so that um, getting an getting a core data getting an app set up to use core data is faster there's a lot lot fewer steps that you have to go through to get it to work a lot less boilerplate
0: Oh, very cool. So what are we missing about the new features in Core Data?
1: Well, I guess the big thing that we've talked about is actually the one I know the least about because I haven't had a reason to use it yet, but that's a, a new feature called Query Generations. Um, I hope I get this right because, again, I haven't actually used it but, it, but basically Core Data will now let you pin your managed object context to a specific they call it a query generation, but I, I basically think that's like a database state. Um, so that, you know, say say you you have your UI showing uh, the, the, the state of the data at one point, and then you've got a background queue making all a whole bunch of changes that are taking a long time, and it's doing those bit by bit, and you don't really want the UI to update. Even though changes are being made to the underlying data, you don't want the UI to update until all of the background stuff is done. You can pin the the main queue context to the current state of the database, and then once once all of the background operations are done, you can all in one go tell the main queue context that you're ready to go. Um, you know, update to the the latest database state.
0: So that's that's pretty cool functionality. How like how do we wire this up? Like, what does it look like in code? So by default pinning is turned
1: off and everything just works the way it used to be that it used to work um i i think what you i think you ask when you're ready to pin to the current state you ask a context for a token that represents the current state of the uh of the context and then there's a method that you call to to set um you, you save off that token that token represents the state of of the database at that point And then, if you want to pin the context to that point, there's another method that you pass that token into that will kind of lock the context to the state represented by the token you pass in. Um, And then, you know, you can you can as updates happen, you can uh, change that token, or you can also set it to nil, which means unpin. I think also if you, um, I think you if you save. If you save changes you've made to that context, that will update to the latest version. Uh, and also, if you there's a reset method on NSManagedObjectContext object context that basically discards all changes. And I think reset now will also um, unpin the context, or at least pin it to the most recent version. If you if you reset it, I think this. I think also that uh, one caveat is that pinning this new pinning feature only works if you're using a SQLite store as the background store because they're using SQLite specific features to to make it work, um, which to me is a little sad because this is actually not the first feature that they've added to Core Data that only works with SQLite. Whereas Core Data started out being, you know, really agnostic in terms of what uh, it was actually what was actually being used for the back end store. And more and more, it's kind of like use SQLite if you want everything, and then yeah, you can still use other backends, but you kind of give up some nice features if you do. I think batch <coughs> updates are another example of that. They came out in I don't know iOS seven or something.
0: Well, I think we've had a pretty good overview of Core Data and what's new. Um, Anything else we should get to before we get to the picks? I
1: I don't really think so. I may have missed a few small new things, but I think we've covered the big ones. Um, But I I would certainly recommend that if you haven't used Core Data for a while, go check out the new stuff because they've actually made it a lot more pleasant to use um, and gotten rid of or improved some of the things that were most painful uh, about using Core Data as a developer. Very cool.
0: So let's get to the picks. Andrew, what do you have?
1: I'm going to pick two things today. Um, the first is a book that I'm just about done reading that I have enjoyed. Uh, even though it's, I, I think it probably wins the award for the nerdiest book I've ever read, but it's called sim Let's see. S- Sophistication and simplicity, the life and times of the Apple II. It's just a very exhaustive, thorough history of the Apple II, which, uh, has been kind of fun to read. It goes all the way from 1977 when the Apple II was released up through the present, talking about the the current uh, Apple II community. Um, There's a lot in there about kind of how how, uh, the Apple II came to be and changes and how the market changed as the Apple II was going and how Apple sort of treated the Apple II after the the Mac came out. They sort of treated it like a second-class citizen, even though for a while it was making all of the money keeping the company alive because the Mac was just not a big hit yet. Um, Anyway, I've enjoyed it. Uh, So that's my first pick. My second pick is a video that I've um, watched this morning that I thought was really interesting if you were into games, especially games in the 90s, uh, but even earlier than that. And it's basically a long interview with John Romero, who's one of the co-founders of id Software, um, one of the co-creators of Commander Keen, which was my favorite game as a kid, and uh, doom and quake and wolfenstein 3d and a bunch of you know hugely important games in the history of gaming and it's a it's a recently recorded interview with him kind of talking about all that stuff and what he's doing now and um he moved to ireland he lives in
0: ireland now so there's some nice shots of ireland in it and those are my picks very cool i'm gonna do one pick and it's not really a pick for me because i have absolutely no artistic talents but uh, some friends of the show from Icon Factory, uh, Icon Factory North, uh, released an app this week uh, called Linea, and it's for sketching. And I don't really sketch; I don't really have any talent. But people are really liking it. It's getting a lot of good press, and like the Brzezniak brothers, they're involved with Icon Factory. Andrew Ron, who was on the show a couple months ago, um, they're involved. And they're they're pretty proud of it, and it's getting a lot of good reviews. So if you like to draw, uh, check out Lydia.
1: Yeah, I haven't downloaded it yet, but I've seen lots of tweets and talk about it. And it seems like it's a pretty cool, simple sketch app. And you know, the icon factory is certainly famous for doing good design. So I'm looking forward to checking that out.
0: If I wish I had artistic talent, me too. But so it goes. Can't do everything great. Can you? Nope. Can't be good at everything. So that's it for the show this week and we'll see
2: y'all next week. See you next
0: week. All right. Thanks, Gene.
2: Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about freelancer real comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the freelancer show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremotecomp.com.